Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists. Like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, New Kids on the Block, Sean Paul, Sum 41, Whitney Cummings, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, Is. Hi, Em. How are you feeling about the episodes this week? I'm feeling like a lot of different ways. <laughs> Me too. I feel like Beverly Hills is just carrying us this week. Yeah, it's like Beverly Hills is carrying us. Potomac fell somewhere in the middle. It wasn't a filler episode, but it wasn't groundbreaking. And New York was just the other end of the spectrum. We're not going to talk about New York. We're not going to waste precious time in our intro talking about New York, I feel. No, I won't waste another minute of your week dealing with that. One good news, though, in the state of New York that I think that we should mention is that Dorinda's house, I guess, is rentable. And that's something that we should celebrate. Yep. You can rent Bluestone Manor for, I think it's only for a day or two that she's putting it up on Airbnb. And I just know that whoever clicks at the right time and gets to stay there is going to get the best content because we can't have it any other way. Yes. And I also honestly think, I didn't read enough about it, so I could be totally off. I know that what it was mentioned is that it was kind of a temporary thing, but I don't think it's the craziest thing that she would want to see how this goes. And then depending on the interest and depending on how she feels when it's being rented, that this could become a huge moneymaker for her. Yes, but it's her house. And I feel like there's at a certain point, are people going there and going through her closets? Like her daughter has a room and what happens when she puts her Christmas decorations up? You know, she doesn't want anyone breaking a Santa Claus snow globe. So I'm curious to see how this goes down. And this is a public service announcement that if you end up going, just be respectful for, for the good of the group. <laughs> to the one person that may potentially be listening, that is also the crossover with the Bluestone Manor rental. Imagine that person listens to this podcast. It's just a public service announcement. I feel like the chances that whoever ends up renting it could listen to this podcast or their friend could are pretty high. Yeah. Or there's the complete opposite and somebody just happens to see this beautiful house in the Berkshires and has no idea of anything Bravo related and they walk in and they're unaware as to the cultural artifact that they are stepping on. Can you imagine someone happens to click on her house at like 11.59.59 before it goes live and books it without even knowing the gravity of what they're doing? Sinful. 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 It won't happen. I know there's going to be a waiting list. So listen, as you guys know, we really left at one of the most intense cliffhangers last week, Erica was having a full-blown panic attack in the bathroom. And this week, we didn't know what we were walking into. I personally, after finding out what Lisa Rinna said last week about how Erica and production had that fight, I didn't know the extent of the content that we were going to get post-breakdown. I didn't know if she was no longer going to be filmed for the day. And to me, that wouldn't have even been so improbable. Yeah. I didn't know where we were going to come back into. I didn't know if Erica would sit back down or if she would leave or if the episode would come back and it's the next day already. So I was kind of happy to see that we picked up exactly where we left off and could see every second of the follow-up and the aftermath of this conversation. Yeah. My stance from last week is the exact same in terms of I still believe Garcelle wholeheartedly when she says 
She had no indication or understanding that her bringing it up at this moment was going to strike a chord. I do not think she was in cahoots with production. And I still think that her level of feeling bad for Erica was as genuine this week as it was last week. And I can't help but think, she doesn't want to say this because I think it would just add salt to the wound. But the way that I'm feeling too is, why is Erica so upset about this? 24 hours ago, the girls were all asking her a million questions about cheating and his health and money. And she's opening up about how he was so dismissive of her and like really dark, bad things. So it just seems sort of random that this is what caused her to break down so bad. And they get into this later about how there's so many other layers to this and it wasn't necessarily about what Garcelle said, more the circumstances of the situation. But I just can't help but think and put myself in Garcelle's shoes of why is this the trigger? Right. I mean, listen, we find out later on that what it seems to be Erica's knowledge of the LA Times article coming out was stirring some things up for her. And she was probably second guessing everything she had said out loud on camera. And, you know, as we know, who knows what was going through her mind and what she was consulting with among her lawyers. But I completely agree with you about how Garcelle had this moment of like, wait a second, don't shoot the messenger here. Right. And she's like, wait a minute, what did I miss? I thought that everyone said she's been so open and Think about the questions that Erica was answering when they were sitting up on the mountain on the rocks. Those questions to me and the whole conversation was way more probing and kind of revealing than Garcelle mentioning the thing about the phone calls. Overall, was it maybe not perfect for Garcelle to bring up something that had been said sort of on the side with a smaller group? Maybe, but it's not wrong of Garcelle to assume the other women there are her much closer friends. So if there's something that she kind of said off the cuff to Garcelle, why wouldn't it be okay to bring up in front of these women who she considers like family to her? Yeah, exactly. And I still stand with what I said last week of if this was so important to Erica, she better have made damn sure that she looked both Crystal and Garcelle in the eyes and said, please do not bring this up. She said it to Crystal when Garcelle was already in the car and that was where she went wrong, step number one. And you know, listen, I so agree with you that technically she didn't need to say it in front of the group. I understand that, you know, Garcelle was taken aback by it. She had already mentioned it to Erica. She didn't need to bring it up again. Yes, fair. However, and you see this be a theme that kind of plays out through this episode, Garcelle is hyper aware that Erica's closeness lies within Kyle, Rinna, and Dorit, you know, that kind of OG group. And so if anything, the last thing Garcelle, I think, would be upset over is her bringing something up in front of the people that presumably know Erica better. Right. And she, it's just such a hard situation because I think Garcelle just wants to make it better and she doesn't want to keep rehashing it. But I just get where she's coming from. And I also think, like you said, if Erica was so adamant about that, she would make sure that she heard. And by the way, if Crystal thought it was that big of a deal and knew that Garcelle didn't hear Erica say that, she would have said, I don't know if you heard this, but Erica doesn't want us to bring that up in front of the group. But I don't think Crystal thought it was that big of a deal. Uh, of course not. I felt like Crystal's role in this was height awkward. Like I can't envision a potentially more awkward situation because you're trying to defend Garcelle, but you're also trying to comfort Erica. And then also you were the only witness to this situation. So everybody's coming to you for a sense of clarity and you want to deliver the clarity without coming across as condescending. Like It's a weird spot for her to be in and she actually strangely holds a lot of power here, yet doesn't want that to be 
overpowering. So I, I get it. Like I really understand where she was coming from. But can we get into the Rena thing for a second? Yeah. Okay. My stance on this one particular thing is I really do genuinely love Rena. However, I thought she was completely out of line here. I I think that this she was using this as an opportunity to air some of her lingering frustrations or resentment towards Garcelle or the way that she feels Garcelle treated her or the way that she feels Garcelle wouldn't let up on her. And I understand that those frustrations may be real for her. However, it was like apples and oranges. And I think she was kind of kicking Garcelle when she was down. Just my interpretation. Yes, that is, I think there's three pieces if I had to say. One is what you just said. The second is her fierce loyalty and wanting to always protect Erica and just loving Erica and truly being really good friends with her and wanting to sort of look like the hero and be the hero for someone she loves. And the third part is kind of just being hypocritical and now being the one who's not in the hot seat and being able to point a finger and say, why would you do that? And be called out and call out Garcelle the way that she has been in the past. And now the tables are turned and she sort of is in this different power dynamic and can call Garcelle out, which usually she's on the receiving end of that. So I just felt it was so hypocritical. And they talked about this on Watch What Happens Live tonight of like, you have literally made your career of housewives asking questions or bringing things up or you know, Dorit, where people doing coke in your bathroom, like that is literally her thing. So then as soon as Garcelle does it in a very innocent way, in a much more toned down way than Rinna usually does, it was just, it was hard to watch her kind of jump down her throat after what we've seen of her from the last couple of years. Right. And my thing is like, listen, you were on a show where at some point everybody is going to fuck up. Everybody is going to do something that's a little bit out of line. And so my feeling on it was like, Rina, I promise there's going to be a moment where Garcelle does something that actually doesn't have the best intent and you could use that as maybe a place to air your lingering frustrations. But this to me, I will stand by, was so deeply innocent. And I know it came across as probing, but probing was the theme of the entire weekend. You know, like kicking Erica while she was down was not Garcelle's intention. And not that it necessarily was Rina's intention, but that to me is how it came across in her confrontation of Garcelle. And I felt like, can't you see how sincere this woman is in voicing how bad she feels? Like to, to cast even a shadow of doubt on the legitimacy of her guilt, I think just wasn't really fair. It just felt like the punishment didn't fit the crime. I feel like Rena was trying to find a moment that she could point out something that she's doing wrong. And this was just not the right opportunity because we saw Garcella's intention so clearly and the way that she handled it and dealt with it afterwards was what I would say perfect given the circumstances. And it just, it, it was just so hard to watch and it just felt pretty unnecessary. Yeah. I also, I'm glad that when you said the hypocrisy thing that you were kind of talking about what was discussed on Watch What Happens regarding how this is basically Rinna's entire personality being, you know, the question asker and not the hypocrisy as it applies to Denise, because I still maintain my initial thought. And she spoke about this on Watch What Happens of like, I don't equate the Erica situation and the Denise situation. And even if you want to, then you're putting her in a lose-lose situation because she's the first one to say, yeah, I handled that terribly. I'm the first one to say it. Why would I then want to repeat this behavior with Erica? So I still 
well, that will not be a hill that I die on, the Denise one, because I don't fully agree with it, but the hypocrisy existed in other ways as far as I'm concerned. Right. To me, the Denise situation just falls into like a bullet point of her overall question asking and probing and no tolerance for lying. It's not, you can't just compare those two situations. Like I said, you could go down the list of every season and she has moments like that every single time. And the Denise one was just one of them. That wasn't like, that wasn't the end all be all. And I just don't think it's fair to compare the two. Throughout this episode, we really see kind of Sutton's like budding skepticism towards Erica. And we're really clued into it for the first time in this one confessional when she says, the reaction is a little much. This isn't about Garcelle. This is about Erica and her problems. So it makes me think, is Erica being honest with us? Which again, to use the word that we have used for this entire season, that had a lot of eeriness to it because that same sentiment that at this current moment is only one being held or at least being voiced by Sutton starts to trickle down to other members. And as the episode progresses, we see Kyle and we see Dorit and maybe even Rena, even though she would never voice it, start to have a little bit of curiosity and skepticism about Erica and her truth. Well, I also think Kyle and Dorit specifically are in a little bit of a hard place where they don't want to question Erica or they don't want to seem like they're not loyal friends or that they would ever doubt her, but they may have some of the same questions that Sutton has. And for Sutton to be the one to bring these points to the table so that they don't have to, it sort of gives them an in to join a conversation about that and maybe kind of explore these questions that they have or allow them to be a little bit skeptical without being the one to first say, you know, I don't believe this or maybe this is possible when such terrible allegations are made about someone who they love and care about. Oh, yes. There was only a few people that could have played this role. And it was really Garcelle, Crystal, and Sutton. And Garcelle probably felt she couldn't based on what just happened. So it had to be one of the three of them to allow the other ones to really have the conversation, I think in their eyes, at least. I feel like Sutton is just the woman for the job. She has the perfect amount of relationship with Erica where she knows her, but she doesn't feel like this sense of loyalty and history with her. She's been through a divorce with a lot of money. She sort of has an investigator mind. And I think she's just overall like a nervous person. And that puts that energy into being nervous and checking out all the red flags and asking questions. And I don't know, I just, uh, I get how this is going to turn into what we've seen in the previews of Sutton really calling out Erica and asking questions. I mean, based on what I saw in next week's trailer, the next meal again, just turns into a lot of Q&A with Erica. And I just don't understand how like Garcelle's one thing has become this major issue when, again, we're going to get another round of Q&A. If Erica doesn't say to Garcelle at the reunion, that explosion had nothing to do with you and everything to do with me, then I just don't know. Yeah. And I have to imagine that that will be acknowledged. Also, just to go back for a second, seeing the way that this episode happened and really seeing the gradual yet also intensive progression of Sutton's curiosity made so much sense now to, like you said, the preview for next week, because now I get it. Now I understand why Sutton was the person. And before, yeah, I could have put, you know, I could have dreamed this up in my mind because it would have made sense in terms of her history with divorce and her relationship with Erica, but understanding how she got from point A to point B, it's added so much clarity now so much clarity. Another point that I wanted to bring up, and tell me what you think about this, and I'm curious what you guys think as well. 
you know, when Erica decides that she's leaving and she walks outside and we see Kyle, Dorit, and Rinna follow after her. And I know how isolating that must have felt for Garcelle. And she obviously voiced that and she kind of almost made it into be this thing that was a little bit more divisive than I think other people perceived it to be. Again, I fully understand how that must have felt for her. As a viewer, though, I didn't think there was anything off about Kyle, Rin, and Dorit getting up with Erica. I think, if anything, it would have felt very bizarre if they didn't walk her out. Yeah. And as a viewer, we're able to look at it from kind of a full picture and say, just because they're following her outside doesn't necessarily mean they've drawn a line in the sand and are picking a side. They're allowed to follow her out and want to console her. It's Kyle's house. And, you know, they just, that's their kind of natural way. It doesn't mean that they necessarily agree with her. Totally. I mean, think about how weird it would have been if Kyle, the host, didn't walk out with her. That would have just seemed bizarre. You know, when somebody's crying, regardless of what happens, it's the natural inclination to want to walk them out and kind of calm them down. So again, hear where Garcelle was coming from. And I was with her so much throughout this episode that one point I couldn't, I couldn't say that I agree that of what she was making it into actually was. By the way, not to be said that there absolutely is loyalty and there is an inner circle within the group. I'm just saying that one particular move I don't think was necessarily representative of it. Yeah. And I hope that watching it back, she realizes they very well could be walking her out, but also thinking in their minds, that was so bizarre. I hope Garcelle is okay inside. So I just, I know though, if I was Garcelle sitting on that couch, I would feel the exact same way. Exact same way. And yeah. And again, like I said, let this not be lost on us how awkward of a position Crystal is in because she's the only one that can kind of attest to what actually happened. Yet at the same time, she is not the one in focus here. It's a really bizarre thing. I feel like she must feel weirdly guilty in some way. Right. Like that it was on her, which it wasn't at all for not communicating it clearly enough to Garcelle, but it wasn't. Like I keep saying, if Erica was so hellbent on that, that is something that she should have made absolutely abundantly clear. And the fact that she didn't just further proves that it had nothing to do with that and had way more to do with the fact that she knew the LA Times article was coming out and she was hyper panicked about anything that's being brought up now that could potentially heighten that. It's LA Times plus everything else that we already knew was going on. And by the way, how many times do we have to tell Dorit that Garcelle didn't hear Erica say that? She kept reiterating, you know, well, if someone tells you not to say anything and Garcelle's like, obviously, if Erica had said to her, please don't repeat it, please don't say anything, you know Garcelle wouldn't have said a fucking word. And Dorit kept trying to like make it seem like Garcelle did this terrible thing when she knew Erica didn't want her to. And it's like, she didn't. How many times can we tell this story? And Crystal is defending Garcelle, but it also is hard to not make Garcelle simultaneously look bad because Crystal's like, oh yeah, I was given the same information, but didn't say a word. So it just put everyone in such a bad position. And I hope watching it back that everyone gains a little bit of perspective. Yeah. I think that if I was Garcelle, I would have felt like my character was being attacked a little bit because once somebody questions your intention, especially around a moment that is as sensitive as this one, that wouldn't sit right with me either. So I understand, even though I disagree with her making them walking them out as this big thing, I understand if I was her, why I would have been on hyper alert because all of a sudden my fucking character is being questioned. Yeah, for sure. Okay. This dinner. Dorit coming down in a sequin Gucci cat suit is literally why we keep her around because 
she has nothing to do with anything. But I, like I said last week, she could just show up and look like that every day. And I think she is the most meaningful housewife. It was so funny when Kathy Hilton was like, you're going to waste that on this? Because that's exactly, (laughs) you know, I I know that this has nothing to do with it. And obviously we've been watching the show and it's their show and this is how they operate, but it's so hard in certain moments to not put yourself in it. And I just cannot imagine there is nothing in the entire world that could force me to put on heels and hair and makeup and a nice outfit to have dinner in my friend's home in the middle of quarantine. Like there are just two types of people in this world. And Dorit is like the most representative of the one type. And I am the other because there is no world. I guess if there's cameras there, which that's a whole other conversation that we would never do, but like, could you imagine getting that dolled up for a night in quarantine? I feel like I really flip-flop about this in terms of housewives because I praise the glam so highly. And when the cities don't bring the glam and the fashion, you know, I really miss it. And Beverly Hills coming back, it's like, okay, what's the confessional looks going to be? And what are they going to show up in? But then there's another side of me as I've gone back and watched old seasons where there is no glam. And it is really like they come down in their pajamas. I mean, we see them, they come in their pajamas, but they're in like silk matching Gucci sets with eyes and like they already have makeup on. It's not the real deal. And so there's, I just don't think we'll ever again see the actual real deal because everyone's just too savvy to what's going on and the glamour of it and what they'll look like and be like on camera and how it will add to their persona. So I don't know. I'm like just stuck somewhere in the middle, but how am I going to say no to a glitter Gucci catsuit? Like there's just no way. Oh, I'm obsessed with it as a viewer. Just when I put myself in their shoes, I couldn't imagine. And also I would like to make an amendment to what you just said. You want to know who we still will continue to see that from no matter what? Who? Fucking Ramona and Sonia on vacation when they first wake up, whether it's in Salem, Massachusetts, or it's in any other country that they are in, they do not give one singular fuck as to how they look when they first wake up in the morning. And you know that's true. Yeah, that is very fair. And you know yeah. what? Say what you want, which we will say what we want, but that is one good thing about them. <laughs> totally. So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. And one of the most fun parts about the seasons changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, their washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quinn's items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm rather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. (laughs) 
The one other thing to mention from this dinner, which had nothing to do with Erica, which that in and of itself is kind of uncommon, I feel like recently, because so much of the plot has been dominated by her, is the conversation they get into regarding race. And clearly, I mean, I think that a lot of us were cringing at what Dorit was saying. However, I will say, watching this episode in contrast to the way these race conversations are handled on New York in terms of the way they're received by Ramona, et cetera, it was, I guess, a little nice to see people at least listening to one another. Totally. It's impossible to not compare them because we're seeing such parallels between the two cities, but it is really night and day. They're listening to each other. They don't agree necessarily with everything that everyone is saying, but they hear each other out and are willing to kind of have a normal, civilized conversation. And then in contrast to what we saw in this week's New York at Shabbat dinner, it's like, oh my God, I wish that they could kind of take note from them. Totally. It's it's two different worlds. And I think just, you know, Garcelle and Crystal continue to be really helpful in moving the needle in these conversations, even though, and Garcelle kind of, you know, alluded to this point in her confessional, on some level, it is like the burden of education. And you can tell that that's happening at the same time. Also, the Harry Hamlin acrylic nails scene was... I was laughing so hard. This is when I love when they just like cry, laugh. Like, that's a girl's night. That's a girl's night. They Listen, one thing about these women, they have a lot of fun. Yeah. Rinna and Kyle were posting all these behind-the-scenes videos of that night where Rinna is wearing that huge oversized cheetah jacket and like Kyle's doing an infomercial about the jacket. Like that's the kind of stuff. There's not enough time because there's so much drama happening. And I know we can't see everything, but when the cameras go down and they're just a bunch of girls in the desert and they actually do change into their pajamas, they're having fun. Like they don't just like leave and stop cameras are off, you know, cut scene and they go away. They actually hang out and have so much fun. Yeah, they are genuinely good friends and you can't fake it. It's so glaringly obvious in terms of the franchises who really enjoy each other's company and then who does not at all. And who's work friends. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> not not going to mention names, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay. The next morning, this LA Times article dropping, when they put the name on the screen and we see the legal titan and the real housewife, the rise and fall of Tom Girardi and Erica Jane. And it is the in-depth expose that we also consumed with that same level of panic and hysteria that they did. I was shaking in my motherfucking boots. Shaken in my boots. This will never get old seeing them react to things that we also reacted to. And us saying to each other, holy fuck, I wonder what they're filming and if it's going to catch them seeing this expose for the first time. And here we are in Kyle's house the morning after Erica leaves and they all wake up and discuss it together. And by the way, they don't even get a chance to read it. I remember it's a really long article and it is packed with information and they're still trying to process this all. Right. And remember when that initially dropped, we knew that big picture they were filming. But our hope was that we hope in the moment the cameras were there when the article actually broke. We never thought they would all be in the same house together. So every time it happens in the morning and they're sitting down in their pajamas and their gel eye masks and they're really processing it before they even had their coffee, those are the moments when my gratitude is just exponential. Imagine if that had broke while Erica was there. 
that also, of course, it had to contribute to her leaving. I think she would have left that day anyway. Like she would have gone home that night or said, you know, I got to get home tonight and obviously not stormed out the way that she did and left so abruptly. But I think she could not be there filming and also around her friends when something like that broke. And it was just, it was crazy to see even though she wasn't there because I almost think it was better because they could actually break it down and talk about the points. And they really got into like a nitty gritty discussion of what could happen to our friend. At this point, they're kind of like, fuck Tom, you know, he's done bad things. Our friend is not with him anymore. And we loved him at the time, but he's not our friend anymore. And we don't care about him. All we care about is what will happen to Erica. And just going through the possible scenarios and this is when it's like, okay, really what is going on? It was sort of like a blur of information, but now I think it's kind of hitting them of like, oh shit, this is real. Yeah. And I feel like something we talk about a lot when it comes to these types of scandals is how everybody establishes their role in the group mm-hmm. you know, with this type of stuff. And talk about what we were discussing with Sutton earlier. This was really, in addition to her confessional, this was the time that she established herself as, okay, I know we're all processing this together, but I'm going to get the facts. And she says, I was up since 7.30. I read the entire article. I'm going to summarize it for you. I'm going to give you the key points. And by the way, I want to talk to you about the word Ponzi scheme because it was used multiple times. And like to me, this one scene of Sutton kind of setting the tone to the rest of the group was very important because you see how that carries itself through. I mean, Rinna saying what happened to Ruth Madoff and comparing Erica to her, like, that is literally their wheels turning of trying to figure out, okay, what's happened to women who've been in this position in the past? And is she really in the same position as Ruth Madoff or are her hands not clean? Right. And you know how last week we were talking about when Erica was discussing this with the group and they were talking about the forensic investigators when it comes to the finances. We were saying, you know, yes, obviously they were a little bit shocked. However, this happens to be a relatively well-versed group to take in this information because they've seen some shit. You know, they're yeah. they are no stranger to high finance and whatever. I felt the exact same way when Sutton was talking about this in her confessional of like, listen, we're all wealthy women. We have LLCs, we know how this stuff goes down. And so it's a really important juxtaposition for me personally as the viewer to watch them being so shocked and just like the rest of us, yet also not being shocked at the point where it takes away from the actual facts because they're familiar with the general concept while still being blown away by the details. And that is what is making this so magical if I had to pinpoint it. I think that this was the moment where they knew it was all bad. And like we've said a million times, they live in Beverly Hills. They all have a lot of money. They've been around money scandals like this before and high profile divorces and like every they've been around the messiest of the messy but i think this article is what really put it in a completely different category of like okay this is not just like fraud and money and divorce and another terrible situation this is like stealing from victims and families and orphans and sick women and you, like this is not your average and there's a chance that it wasn't just a, a wife who has is oblivious to everything and her husband is doing the dirty work. There is a lot of incriminating stuff about our friend. And I feel like this article was really a turning point in the overall story that they had in their minds. It totally was. And to me, that kind of mirrors what we experience in our own lives. I know it's completely different because these women actually know her and it's more about their perception of her. But like, In the very beginning, when this story first broke, 
it was primarily dominated by Housewives fans. You know, yes, other people cared, but it wasn't in my experience until the LA Times article came out that out of the woodwork, my family members, my uncle, my cousins that have nothing to do with Housewives, that don't watch it at all, all of a sudden became interested because it became the potential financial crime that they are interested in from a business perspective. And that's what was happening here, in addition to everything you just said. Obviously, when they filed for divorce, we thought that was a big story and that was a big deal and it was really sad. But even in the very beginning, when it was just like filing for bankruptcy and stuff, I didn't really pay much attention to it. I know that's like silly, but we kind of were just like, uh, like I don't even really want to read the details. Like it's not going to be interesting, and it'll go away. How many times have we seen this? We saw it with Dorit. We see it with a million housewives and celebrities, and it kind of just fades into the background and gets dealt with. But then this just kept escalating, and it never stopped. It never fucking stopped, and we're still. It's like a roller coaster that's like keeps going up to the peak, and like you're just we never get there. Yeah, we never get there. Okay, I want to talk about when they are back at home. Can we? Yes. Because again, as we keep seeing the theme throughout this entire episode, Sutton is the ringleader here. Sutton is the one that tells Dorit that she would like to gather the group to lead this discussion. And I'm sorry, I know it's not the most important point here, but I can't get over her role in all of this. Me too. And I can't help but think also that the other women, not, not all of them, but definitely Kyle, Rinna, and Dorit, are talking all the time about this, off camera, on the phone, texting, whatever, and figuring out sort of their game plan and their positioning and how they can be there for Erica, but also really figure out what the fuck is going on. But Sutton, I feel like, doesn't necessarily have that outlet, and she also doesn't have a connection to Erica where she's speaking to her directly. And I think the three of them are sort of like the bridge of the group between Erica and everyone. So Mm -hmm. Sutton needed to have a group meeting in order to have these discussions. Whereas I I think Garcelle is kind of falls in the middle. And I think Crystal too, they sort of are like, we'll do the show, but we don't really associate with her like that. We don't know her like that. And it's none of our business, but Sutton feels some sort of responsibility. And this is her only outlet to do so is to get everyone together. Yeah. And realistically, if she wanted to have this conversation with Rinna alone, I don't think that that is a scene that Rinna would willingly film. She would do it, but I definitely don't think that that's the situation as Erica's friend that she wants to be in a candid conversation between solely her and Sutton. I think that if she wants to engage in it, she wants it to be in a group setting. That's, that's just my feeling. I could be wrong on that. Yeah, No, I think you're right. I think also Sutton would get nothing out of a conversation one-on-one with Rinna. And yes, Sutton can pick up the phone and call everyone, but I think she wanted to make it clear probably on camera that she is not okay with this from day one. And after reading what she read, she's really fucking freaked out. But please, let's yeah. get to Justice Bigelow's text because I was waiting for this. I went back and I realized that they were posted right around the week of Christmas. And here we are. The houses are decorated. They were decorating Kyle's tree. I'm like, okay, time's a ticking. Christmas is coming. Like, when are we going to get the text messages? No, honestly, I know we just went on this whole thing about the LA Times article breaking, but- Fuck the LA Times. Literally, fuck the LA Times, because when this broke, do you remember you and I on the phone? We were- Screaming. Like, my dad thought something was wrong. My dad came running upstairs. We d- we had to catch our breath. I we mean, did a clubhouse. We did a full clubhouse for like an hour talking about it. 
Do you guys remember, like before we even talk about it, I want you to take yourself back. You are scrolling innocently on your Instagram. I don't know where you are. You're in your bed, you're on your couch, whatever. It's Christmas break. We're all, you know, like cozy at home. We are cozy at home. There is probably a <laughs> fireplace lit. And all of a sudden you are scrolling down your timeline and you see photos of Tom and Justice Bigelow on a fucking phone from 1987. Like, are you kidding me? And just a refresher, if anyone forgot, Erica posted these photos on December 18th, 2020. And her caption was, this is Justice Trisha A. Bigelow. She was fucking my husband, Tom Girardi, and he was paying her sax bill and paying for her plastic surgery. Fucking, she says. I would like to emphasize the fucking. She was fucking my husband. And the photo is a collage of text messages, like we said, from the 1800s of XOXO. Please remember, you know, miss you, babe. Makeup sex tonight was really fantastic. Really, it would be a whole lot better if I was fucking you. A picture of her ass. Good night, sweets. You control the temper tomorrow on the stand. Another picture of her laying on the bed. You know, you get a gift based on what you spend. Is it okay if I spend? Pretty please. I can ask my new boyfriend to pay if it's a huge problem. He's got dough. So those are just a few of the messages <laughs> that um, Justice Trisha A. Bigelow sent to Tom Girardi. And Erica posted this and I their reaction was because it, they weren't filming when they actually saw it and it was hours later. They were like a little tamed and kind of dealt with it. And you could tell they had spoken about it with each other before. But I bet they were fucking shook. You want to know how you knew they were shook? Because somehow Garcelle hadn't seen them yet. And the excitement on all of their faces, knowing that they were about to show Garcelle this, was so, honestly, it, it was overwhelming. And I know that you and I would have been the exact same because that's how we were to anyone in our lives that hadn't seen it yet. And so imagine that like intensified by a million degrees. Like they were so excited to show this to Garcelle because they needed as many people as possible to have the reaction that they did. And they didn't feel guilty because it's coming from Erica. She posted it on Instagram and Kyle knew that Garcelle could not be a participant in this conversation they were about to have if she hadn't seen the fucking bomb that Erica dropped. And then Rinna says, I spoke to her briefly this morning. She was like, I did it. And my divorce lawyer called me and said, you have to take that down right away. Which... I mean, again, this is Rinna recounting it, but when she deleted it, we were wondering what exactly led to the deletion. Was she advised from her legal counsel? Was she advised from PR? Did she just decide to do it? What was the reasoning there? So to hear Rinna say that they had that conversation was insight that we were lacking. And if you remember, Cece Loves You, which is an account posted, the receipts might be gone, but your mug will live forever. And she posted a photo of a mug with Erica's Instagram on it. And Erica commented, can you send me one crying laughing face emoji? I remember that. That's when we were like, okay, she's playing ball here. Like we don't agree at all with the social media strategy that she was do- that she is doing. It seems very insensitive. However, she's committing to the role. And it was such a playful energy for what was going on. I just, we could not read the room. And Kyle's interesting point was like, she really felt like, People were saying that her divorce was a hoax and this was her way of sort of proving everyone like, shut the fuck up. It's not a hoax. He's been cheating on me. But there's so much more to it than that. Yeah. You know, I understood what Kyle was trying to do there and I appreciated it and I get it, but there was so much more happening that that's almost insulting to simplify it to just that. 
it's that's definitely like a speck of it, but right. Like, what are we going to do? Reduce it to something as minimalistic as a few text messages from years ago? It, it doesn't. It doesn't. No, I hear you. I get it. I respect it. But also, <laughs> let's talk about everything else because what you just said about Erica's comment on CC loves you. The entire energy here can be summed up to the fact that like. If this was just news that came out that her husband, who happens to be many years older than her, was cheating on her and she was kind of willing to go down with this playfully and she knew she was going to get a lot of money and it wasn't a big deal, fine. You spin that narrative and you run with it however dramatically you want. But when it's so tied in with some really dark crimes that deeply impact the lives of innocent people, that's when your playful energy actually becomes offensive. It's almost like Erica was trying to have like a Madison LaCroix moment and it's like, Madison LaCroix can have that moment because there's nothing deeper than surface level going on. It's a little hookup. It's cheating. It's, you know, no one's like dying or owing money to orphans. Like you can't just do that. And this is also another example of, I can imagine Garcelle feeling like, wait, she's going to post this on Instagram for the world to see and have sort of this playful energy about it. But me saying in front of our nuclear group of friends that Tom continues to call you is what will send you over the edge. Like how does that match up? I mean, not that this matters obviously, and this was not Erica's thought process, but it was the best gift she could have ever given Garcelle in terms of her feeling validated in her choice. Cause it's like, okay. Cause it's like, now I know for damn sure that your reaction to what I said in La Quinta had nothing to do with me. Yeah, totally. And Garcelle was very confident in that, but this was just like the cherry on top. Yeah. Well, now it was proof for everyone else to see. It's kind of like she was tirelessly feeling like she had to defend her character. And now it's like, I'm not going to say a word because her action and my silence is actually the most powerful thing. Right. Again, Sutton comes in, guns blazing, no small talk, goes right into it saying she has a lot of reservations. And Kyle asks her, what are you saying? That Erica's guilty? And her response is, I'm not sure how much I want to be around my friend during this time. I mean- my job. My jaw dropped because you can't blame Sutton. She here she is hearing all of this story from Erica. And of course she went home. This is she very much is like me with this and Googled the fuck out of it. You know she was searching and scrolling, had tabs open, was going down Wikipedia pages and trying to understand the situation. And then also piecing together everything Erica has told her. And after kind of marinating on it for all this time she started having red flags and realizing, wait a minute, what is going on? Are we being duped? Like, should we take everything that Erica is saying at face value? I think that LA Times article really made her nervous. I think it did too. And like we said, you know, Sutton is a woman who is no stranger to the legal system as it applies to her divorce and this really high level of finances. And I think that Yes, I think she Googled everything, but I think she also 1 million percent had a conversation with her lawyer. Oh, for sure. For sure. And also probably some of her lawyer friends and other people that are just around and know what's going on. You know she was making some calls. And her financial advisor. Like Mm. I, I think she went deep on this and that was something that none of the other women, even of course not the ones that were close friends with her, but you know, Garcelle, Crystal, anyone else even I think thought of like Sutton was taking this more seriously than anybody. And I think it wasn't performative. No, I agree with you. Anything else from this actual episode? 
it was a good one. I, I just, again, I don't know what to believe. I don't know what to think. I, I can't help but feel like we're getting closer and closer to the truth. But then I know in real time, we don't really have answers. All I care about is this fucking reunion. And Erica said on Twitter last week that, yes, she will be at the reunion. I'm praying that doesn't change. The confirmation from her now is a good sign, but that doesn't, to me, it doesn't mean with 100% surge she could be there because so much could change from now to then. Yeah, no, totally. But it was a good sign. And I agree with you. I'm so excited for the reunion. And honestly, I want to see this confrontation next week. Oh, and the week after and the week after. It's like never going to end. We just are so goddamn lucky. I know. One thing from Watch What Happens, because I know we kind of spoke about some of Rinna's comments earlier, when they were playing the Do They Follow Rinna game and they got to Scott Disick and Andy introduced him as her potential future brother-in-law, <laughs> you saw she did not have a warm reaction to that. And not only does he not follow her, but she also doesn't follow him. And I don't know why I care so much. Actually, I do know why. I care <laughs> what so do you much mean? about Like, no, I, I, I can't express to you how much I would want just an honest 20-minute conversation where somebody held her up to a lie detector test and asked her all of the burning questions we want to know, not only about how she feels, about how Delilah feels, about how Harry feels, about how Lois feels, and all of the interaction that they have had. What about her conversations with Chris Jenner? Like, If I could have the most candid conversation with Rinna about that, it would be my therapy. Bottom line, Rinna hates Lord Disick's guts. That's really it. And I bet she was losing it when she saw Amelia's Lord necklace. Oh my God. And Andy made sure to ask her again. And she's just like, you know, Amelia's very happy. And Harry and I are just happy she's happy. Like the nicest, worst answer you can give. (laughs) You know? Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's just hilarious. Like, I can't believe we're in this situation. It's like, yes, Erica Jane stuff, craziest thing ever. I never want to stop talking about this whole thing. Oh my God. Yet also, by the way, just to refresh everyone's memory, Amelia is dating Scott Disick. Are you fucking kidding? No, it's too much. It's too much. It's just too much. <sighs> okay, let's take a deep breath. People have so many different reasons for wanting to learn a new language. Maybe you have an upcoming trip or just want to pick up a new hobby or a skill or just connect with a new culture. I know for me, when I was abroad in Barcelona in college, I'm not going to say that I was fluent in Spanish, but I definitely got to the point where I felt really confident conversing. And when I got home, my dad said to me, Emmy, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. And he was so right. Like I entirely lost it. So Rosetta Stone has been really helpful for me. So if you are in that same boat or you want to learn a new language completely, want to brush up your skills, whatever it is, I want to tell you about Rosetta Stone because they're the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. And it really kind of immerses you in the language that you want to learn. So first of all, they're the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. So they immerse you in many ways. First of all, there's no English translation. So you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which in my experience, I know I'm getting it when I start to think in the language. It's an intuitive process. So you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences, and it's designed for long-term retention. Also, in terms of speech recognition, they have a built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation and it's convenient. So desktop and app options with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. And it's an amazing value. You're getting lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone has to offer for 50% off, which is a steal. 
Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Comments by Celebs listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash comments. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash comments today. Okay, not the most eventful week in Potomac, but still enjoyable to watch start to finish, don't you think? Look, we could say this a billion times, and I'm sure we say it every single week as our intro. We could get a little more creative. But these women just can't do wrong. Yeah, it's it's just fun. Like it's I just like, want to Yeah. <laughs> I'm just having a good time when I watch them because they're fun and they're funny and they they just get it. I know. In terms of first plot really worth discussing here, I want to talk about Giselle coming over to meet Dylan because, you know, one, we're seeing Ashley now post giving birth. She's now a mom of two and seeing how that has changed the way that her day-to-day operates. But also something we've spoken about so much is we see this really soft side of Giselle that comes out in regards to Ashley, specifically in regards to Ashley's pregnancy and motherhood journey. And I just love expanding on that. Yeah, I love it too. And I love how quickly they can go from being so like mushy and with the baby and the kids and just how she's doing to like, okay, it's time to spill some tea. Two things. First, when Giselle kind of takes the initiative to invite Ashley on Candace's trip, that was one of those moments where some could see it as overstepping. To me, I saw it as perfection because Candace was so in the wrong to start out on this one. And like, it's not just a normal trip. It's a cast trip. So Ashley's going to be invited regardless. And I think Giselle felt like she could override Candace on this one. But Candace was wrong. And she can't say she forgot to invite Ashley to her house party where they're like the pajama party and the trip. Like it doesn't slip your mind twice. It's just, it was like a lame excuse. Well, that's what I was going to say. One time, fine. You know, I'll I'll be willing to believe you. The second time, something's up. I don't know if she's just trying to be funny or she just couldn't think of a better excuse, but you know what? We want Ashley, okay? This is what we always say about them, though. They just don't really like each other. Ashley and Candace are just not too fond of each other. They don't enjoy each other's company. And it's kind of okay. Like, you are allowed to have a cast where not every single person vibes. And unlike so many other cities where they put on an act, there really isn't an act here. They're pretty much both upfront about saying, we don't need to be at odds constantly, but we can also just keep our distance. Right. They just are fundamentally different people. And I think they are so far gone that they don't even really want to try and work it out, but they want to be cordial. Honestly, I feel like it's more Candace towards Ashley than Ashley towards Candace because Candace is still really salty about the way that Ashley supported Monique after the fight. Listen, when Ashley's talking to Giselle about the actual process of giving birth, I can assure you that Candace is the last thing on her mind. Like that pettiness of that drama is just not at the forefront of her mind. Whereas for Candace, one could argue she's a little bit less going on right now than Ashley does. She's just a little clearly. I mean, Ashley is so occupied. So maybe she's thinking about it more. I don't think that that's such an unfair argument to make. Right. No, I don't think so at all. I think she has way more going on, but it feels like also Candace has a lot going on. I think that's why she's able to acknowledge it, but also not make it like the center of her whole story and something that's her main focus, but it's definitely still there. We knew this Eddie stuff was coming, but this is the moment when Giselle brings it up you know, on the show for the first time. And we hear her say to Ashley, there's a rumor, supposedly Eddie has a girlfriend or something. Which initial reaction to that? 
Let me tell you, if there was an award for professional seed planter, oh my God, call Giselle a botanist. Like, <laughs> she knows what she's doing. She is a green thumb. That motherfucker has <laughs> a green thumb. No, is botanist the right word? I don't know it felt right, but she, that girl can plant a seed. No, she can. I knew it was going to be her. And the way that this went down, I love because it always feels a little bit more innocent when it's done on a one-on-one instead of this giant group setting. And so once we know that her and Ashley have had this side conversation, it just preps us in a way for the trip. It does have a little bit of a different edge when you're talking to Ashley, someone who's dealt with infidelity so publicly before and kind of knows the angle and understands how that feels. So I felt like I was happy the conversation went down between the two of them. I was as well. And, you know, when Giselle makes this comment of it could be because she knows the rumor and she's trying to overcompensate, not that it's true. Talking about obviously Wendy's new look and she says in her confessional, it could be why Wendy has new kitties and a new booty, which I didn't even look online to see the response to this, but I would have to imagine it probably wasn't so favorable because you know, it basically puts Wendy's entire new journey of this look simply under the very small-minded context of like doing it to secure her husband, which I don't think is the case. But I understand how Giselle got to that thought process. Me too. I think she feels like there needs to be a reason that Wendy did it. Like she's not taking the like, you know, for myself and self-love as enough of an excuse or a reason when it totally should be. I love Giselle, but I felt a little uncomfortable with the shaming in this episode about Wendy's body and what she was wearing and kind of like frowning upon it when like it just it's not her place but also what she's the most conservative woman and like she's not around all these women who just love to dress sexy and are proud of their bodies it was like why do you have to single out Wendy about that something is just clearly bothering her and she's trying to get to the bottom of it right and you know the thing that was frustrating to me because I so agree with you is like There are a lot of things that Wendy is doing this season that actually do have grounds to call her out on, like the fact that she's putting on this Zen Wen persona and then acting in a way that is actually very performative and not at all aligned with that. And like, that's a really legitimate thing. Like, let's call out the hypocrisy there. Let's call out about how it seems a little bit like an act. But this is something that impacts your life 0%. And if she wants to come out, nipples, boobs out, let her do it. Yeah, she's not hurting anyone. She's not hurting anyone. To me, I'm loving it. Me too. Okay. When Mia meets Giselle and Robin for drinks. This was a pleasant turn. It was like I almost wanted to make the meme how it started, how it's going. Yeah. I was really glad that this went down in the way that it did. And I think, you know, if you're Mia – I don't necessarily think walking into Giselle and Robin, clearly the two closest castmates who you just had an issue with, is probably the most welcoming environment. And so I thought she handled herself beautifully. And I thought that they all kind of really went in wanting to cut the bullshit. Yes, I agree. And I think they all had good attitudes and it was a productive event and conversations. Yeah. I really, like I said in the beginning, I like not only how Mia's opening up with us, but clearly she's now opening up with the women. And I think that when you're like that, especially when you're talking to someone like Giselle, it's very disarming. You know, when you lead with that vulnerability, not that Giselle is going to mirror it immediately, but you have a better shot at getting her to be a little bit more vulnerable if you are. I also really loved Robin and Mia's 
energy and their connection. I mean, they related on really like deep, serious topics with Juan's parents and Mia's parents and just so many different things. And they got really deep, really fast. But I felt like they have a little bit of a connection. And that was interesting to see, especially while Giselle is sitting there. And we don't see Robin sort of splitting off from Giselle that often. And I kind of liked it. I loved it. Anytime Robin does that, I appreciate it. Me too. Okay. On the bus, on the way, I love when Giselle just tells Candace she invited Ashley for the day. (laughs) Same. The stripper pole. Phenomenal. And the editor's adding the tip number on the bottom. Like, It's just, it's pure entertainment. I know. Mia worked that pole. Yeah. I mean, what else would you expect? (laughs) Okay. So when they get to the house and they have that little Ramona moment with the rooms, which by the way, was glossed over. Well, I guess there's like different etiquette in every city or friend group of like Candace just saying, here's how the rooms are going to go. Like that wouldn't fly in New York or pretty much anywhere, I guess. And I think they were all feeling like, okay, we're being put in like the B-list little house, especially when you saw what the main house looked like. And they're saying, oh yeah, the Obama stayed here. Like that must be one of the most gorgeous houses I've seen on a housewives trip in a long time. Yeah. And I think, listen, on top of what you said about Candace choosing for them, I'm more so referring to Robin basically telling Mia, just so you know, don't get too comfortable because that's not going to fly. And that is the epitome, in my opinion, of the OG energy. Well, that was also a stark contrast to what I was just saying about how they really connected. And I think Robin was really starting to respect Mia and like, oh, here we are, you know, like this fun crew in the main house. But it was Robin wanting to be with Giselle and kind of being like, oh no, we don't separate, aka Ramona and Sonia. We get the room with the bathtub because we share. We're two people. Right. (laughs) Okay. Giselle asked the table, would anyone like to apologize before the trip gets started? And a great intro. I like it. I like that yeah. it's kind of this neutral opening. And here we have Karen just gunning for her. And it was two people that are on such different pages. And honestly, I love Karen. You and I speak so highly of her. I think she is the core of Potomac. I want her to stay forever and ever. I appreciate her. I could give you a list of adjectives that I like and respect about her. However, <laughs> this cannot be the hill she dies on because what she is not realizing is it only makes her look bad. Listen. What Giselle said by no means was wishing death on Ray. The only thing you maybe want to call it if you want to stretch it is she was potentially age shaming him. Fine. But it was said as a response to his comment towards her, which was entirely worse in the sense that it was very misogynistic. It was very looks-based and it was reducing a woman to her looks as her sole ability to quote, get a man. And so what I want to say to Karen is like, this is not the flex that you think it is. And Giselle does a lot of stuff that really does deserve to her to be held accountable for. This isn't it because you're going to lose every time in a court of law. Nobody agrees with her. Like literally not one person, even Karen's friends would agree that Giselle was wishing death on Ray. It is such a far stretch and also happened so long ago that Karen has not once brought it up in all this time. And I think she was just digging up something so old and irrelevant that like, it's almost hard to care. And it's like, I'd rather her at this point, just say, Giselle, I hate your guts. I don't like you as a woman, you X, Y, and Z, instead of trying to 
pinpoint it on this story that is so kind of silly. I think the thing that I'm a little bit confused by is it's not out of Karen's character to say exactly what you just said. Like literally in those exact terms, you know what, Giselle, I'm just not a fan of you or anything that you do. And by the way, I think you and your house and your fashion are tacky as a side note. So I don't want to engage in this. Like that is a very normal thing that I would expect Karen to do. Meanwhile, she feels she needs to come up with this whole convoluted story to present her case. And it's just not landing. When Giselle said, Anything that I did to you in the past, I apologize to you. You know this Ray bullshit is bullshit. AK, Giselle knows that Karen knows that's bullshit. Like We all don't think that Karen actually thinks that this is a big deal. And then she says, I want Ray to live. I want him to pay his bills. (gasps) Giselle, oh my God, she is a botanist and a poet. (laughs) And she didn't even know it. (laughs) She didn't even know it. No, that was unbelievable. That was a line. That's why, listen, I feel like last year you and I had to almost be silenced as to our like for Giselle because people were coming down really hard on her. And I get it. I understand. But she's a phenomenal housewife. She's just so good. And she can't help herself, which is an amazing quality because here she is like trying to get it out. Like she's over it. She thinks it's so stupid and she doesn't want to hear it anymore. But she's apologizing. She's saying, I know this is bullshit, but she can't help but just, you know, another jab just for good luck. Right. And I think that something that's really addicting on Housewives is when you know that the presence of another person in the room brings something out of someone. And like, that's the Karen and Giselle effect. I was about to equate it to Tinsley and Dorinda, but I don't even want to because that actually turned really dark and it wasn't enjoyable to watch, but it was almost similar in a very weird way, different, but kind of same thing of like, they just bring out this side of each other. And that's, I think what was kind of happening here. Yeah, it's true. They just can't stand each other. Like the the energy of being in the same room is enough to make them angry. Yeah. So watch this space and we will see what happens when Wendy blows up on her next week. Whew. Apartments.com believes the dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because... You just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. Okay, this might be a kind of hot take and a little bit of a loaded statement, but I'm not afraid to say it. I think this week, Ramona Singer was the worst we've ever seen her. Wow. Do you agree or disagree? That, that is a loaded statement. She was pretty bad. 
I don't know if I could go as far as to say the worst, but she was pretty bad. Yeah. It was definitely up there in like top five worst Ramona moments. I can't even think of what the others would be. There's there's a lot and there have been really bad cringy ones, but this, I, I couldn't really, I, I barely could watch it. I couldn't stand her and I it was not even enjoyable to watch. Like there are moments where her being cringy and we always say we love having her on our screen because of what she brings and her lack of self-awareness. But this was to a whole other level where it was actually unenjoyable to watch. No, it was. I mean, it, it was objectively just off. I mean, like just bigger picture for a second, the entire episode was off. Like yeah. it just did not flow well from start to finish in every part. I'm talking Sonia's date. I'm talking everything. I mean, just the whole thing was discombobulated. Very discombobulated, which seems to be our buzzword for this entire season. But yeah, her performance was nothing short of just erratic. Completely erratic and very frustrating. This is what I want to say, unrelated to that whole point that you just made and that I agree with. The one moment that I related to her so deeply, and I, I think that this is a flaw of mine. Like I'm not defending her. I'm actually... I guess, outing myself, I notice that I typically find myself to be a pretty patient person. I lose all patience when it comes to a situation where one person is either on FaceTime or Zoom and they feel as though they need to like command the room and everybody in the physical room needs to halt their conversations to fit their audio issues. It makes my blood boil. Like I, I noticed throughout quarantine that it's one of my triggers and Leah was fully doing that. And so I know Ramona was being so dismissive and so off, but I kind of got what she meant of like, is this even worth it at this point? No. Ramona was bad, but Leah was being so, so annoying. Annoying. It's the only word. I I hate this. This is why I don't like talking about New York because I don't like when this side of myself comes out. Like, I don't mind hearing you do it. I could hear you talk shit all day. I just don't like hearing myself do it. And I have nothing, I have nothing good to say. And I felt Leah to be so just annoying and abrasive. And yeah, Ramona sucks. We all know Ramona sucks, but you kind of like treating her as if you are the teacher and she is the schoolgirl and you're scolding her. It also isn't a good look for you either. I think we would have said Leah was being annoying if she had done and acted and said the exact same thing sitting at the table. So then for her to be in the little foam with like the squeaky microphone and she's trying to talk over everyone and she keeps making Ebony move the phone because she doesn't like where she's sitting and what she could see from the fucking iPhone. Like I, I didn't want to watch that. And I think Ebony just saw the night sort of crumbling before her eyes and where she usually would maybe try to like get the shit together and or try and make things like go better or get back on track. I just think she gave up because she doesn't have the energy to deal with this anymore. And truly the person I felt the most bad for besides Ebony was her friend, Archie, who put in so much work, does this as her life's mission, set such a beautiful table and was bringing these people together for a, a nice reason. And the disrespect was like out of control. It's like, even if we want to remove the content from the conversation, which I know in this particular situation is a little bit hard to, because once you know the content, it makes the whole thing so much worse in terms of Ramona's behavior. Just the general way that she asserts herself in someone else's home with such a lack of humility and such a lack of grace. And again, I love watching her. So it's not like a complaint towards Bravo. It's just, I can't believe that somebody acts like this because 
I have to imagine this is not for the cameras. I think if this exact same evening was happening and there was no cameras, she would walk her way into this woman's kitchen. She would demand food, not snacks, not too fattening, you know, all these other dietary guidelines from the chef. And she would just have no respect for the person that was leading it. And when you understand that this is not somebody's character and this is actually who they are, yeah, it's fun to watch, but it's also just a little bit concerning. It's it's very concerning. And I just felt like I'm watching this show as a point of escape and to try and watch people just be people and interact. And it was absolutely painful. Sonia was no sane either. Like No, she wasn't, but she wasn't like the worst. I mean, when Luann is the least annoying person in the room, you know you have problems. I think Leah was the most annoying. I thought Ramona was the most out of line, but Leah was the most annoying. Like I was, and I think I have to hope that she would watch this back and understand how annoying it came off because I don't think she maybe noticed like when you're in your house, you don't know what it sounds like the audio with everybody else, but it's like, you know what? I know this is important to you. I, as somebody who is Jewish, I respect your commitment to convert. And I thought that her doing the blessing was beautiful. Like I'll give her all of the praise in the world for that. However, it just isn't going to all be about you, especially when you're on a fucking iPhone and you got to get over it. Yeah. It was a lot of just like me, 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 me. And I think she was really disappointed that she couldn't be there. But I think if she was there, she did feel like it was a night honoring her, which it is nice. And she's converting. And I of course appreciate that. But like, it was not just about her. And I think she was having a hard time dealing with that. And just Ramona, everything that she said Anytime that we think she's making any sort of progress or has learned anything, a moment like this or a dinner like this happens and you realize she has gotten absolutely nowhere. It's not even though, like, because yes, a, a thousand percent, the lack of evolution is is kind of frightening, but like, take that off the table. It's just in general, somebody else is allowed to share their experiences and you can just listen to that. And that's okay. She can't. And I know she can't. Can't I? Like I obviously understand and totally agree with what Ebony was saying about how you know it's hard for people to sit in their in their privilege and, and that discomfort. Like I get all of that, and of course that's accurate. And everything she was saying, I agree with. But it's like this could be a conversation about nothing to do with race or religion or any sort of oppression. And if it was going in that same direction, Ramona would have the same reaction. And it's just like really crazy that somebody functions in this world and is very high functioning actually with this like lack of ability to just kind of coexist. Absolutely. Just the amount of discomfort that it brings her to talk about anything that she can't partake in or that she has to just listen to and maybe doesn't know about or have her two cents to add in. It's like she can't handle it. And it's so annoying and frustrating. And um, we feel this way. Imagine how people sitting around the table with her feel or people who want to share other ideas or opinions. It's like, I'm so over it. Yeah. I'm over it. I'm just, I just, I I need this season to be over. Like, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want to be a downer. I just, can we end this discussion here? Because I have nothing productive to say. I feel like we're broken records. I have to make a point because a lot of people are talking about like, maybe we're not getting a reunion or it's being postponed. Like they're not filming it. Ramona just posted that she's in Aspen for a month. And remember there was all that drama about it maybe not happening and Ebony and Ramona, like I I don't know what was true or not, but I don't feel like I necessarily need a reunion, but I do think if it could be one or two parts just to get some answers, it does feel satisfying to kind of tie it up in a bow that way. 
Yeah. I don't know where I land on that. I have to say that if they came out and said they weren't having a reunion, I think that I wouldn't even be the slightest bit upset, to be totally honest with you. Right. Whereas if Beverly Hills said that, I would be in physical pain. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. I mean, why would you even say that? I don't know. I just like, I'm just, I like to keep it all in context. (laughs) Also, we're coming off of fucking binder gate. From Potomac right. last time. Like reunion the, the the part one of the New York reunion with Tinsley and Dorinda last season and then plus Bindergate with Potomac really set the bar very high. I gotta say, I think the best reunions are OC, not last season, you know how I feel. OC, Potomac, Atlanta, and recently Beverly Hills. Those four have been so good. And the old school OC reunions, like Tamara and Vicky are – what they bring to a reunion is just unparalleled. I'm a little nervous also. Heather Dubrow is filming and she said, we will like the season. She's a little bit disappointed, but she feels hopeful and will be surprised by what we see. So everyone cross your fingers for OC because I cannot have a repeat of last season. No, we won't. I really miss Tamara. Like, honestly, if I had to bring back one housewife, that's a bold statement. But that was the first one that came to my mind. I guess I would just say I would love to see Tamara back. I she's she's also a perfect housewife. She's a perfect housewife. Oh my god. She, if they yeah. do an all-stars and they had Giselle and Tamara together. No, forget it. And Portia. Oh my god. Forget about it. And not Robin. You need not, not because not Robin, but I mean like Giselle without Robin. Yeah. And like Rinna, like just all potsters, you know? Yeah. And then you they see how kind of to get a taste of their own medicine. Yep. Wow. Okay. Well, anything else you would like to mention? No, there's nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> we love you guys so much. We'll see you next week. Julie and I will see you on Monday for our regular episode. And as always, thank you for letting us do this and giving us a place to talk about this. It's like the best thing ever. And I feel like we're creating this little family and it's really fun. So thank you. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile It helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.